Willow is the exception. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and ends the same. The rest of them, yeah. Pardon my French, fuck those fuckers. Hello, and welcome to The Girls on the Boys, a podcast dedicated to analyzing the Amazon series The Boys and the spicy world of soups and stereotypes. I'm Jen Adams. And I'm Rachel Reeves. And today we are taking a bit of a detour. We are going back in the past a little bit. Before we start our coverage of The Boys Season 2, we are going all the way back to 1978 and the origins of the superhero genre, at least on the big screen. We are talking about Richard Donner's (laughs) Superman. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Richard. It's Richard Donner's Superman. <laughs> Which I really thought was Superman colon the movie. And I think I was mm. thinking Santa Claus colon the movie. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's similar. Understandable. Similar yeah. vibes, yeah. Um, but we do have a bit of breaking news today. Beep, 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 beep. Um, are you loving my Foley work today? <laughs> I, I'm loving it. Uh, my superpower is just making weird sounds and just embracing them Um, (laughs) so i don't know if you've seen it but they have cast the new superman and lois lane have you seen that oh my gosh no wait who is it well okay so they were talking about one guy i don't know and then nicholas holt who i love and then david corn sweat I believe is how you say it who played the skeezy projectionist in pearl Oh, oh, okay. I know. So he's going to be Superman. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, duh. He looks just like Superman. Yes. And then Rachel Brosnahan is going to be Lois Lane, which I also think is perfect. Oh, my gosh. I am, like, shocked. Oh, I'm not shocked by the casting. The casting is great. But I'm shocked that, like, oh, oh, we're, okay, we're doing Superman. We're doing it again. again, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like every time I see a new Spider-Man, I'm like, oh, okay. I guess. And I want a Birds of Prey, too, before any more boy superheroes. I'm just going to put that into the world. Yeah, this is kind of wild. The fact that they're just they're doing this again. Yeah. Is it? But all right. I guess it just goes to show, right? Like (laughs) how prevalent this character is. It came around in the 30s in comics and is just still still. Still going strong. Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's good for us for a podcast about superheroes. Yeah. It's good, but never going to run out of content. Exactly. (laughs) I know. That's really great job security for us. Um, As if we're getting paid for this, you know. (laughs) Yeah. One can dream. One can dream. One day, maybe. Um, Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'll still watch it. I'm interested in it. And I like Superman. Like, I would. Be more excited for a new Superman than a new Batman. As much as I love Batman, I'm just like, all right, yeah, we're doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> so. Were you ever a fan of Smallville? I have not watched Smallville. Is it good? Mm. I've heard it's good. Michael Rothman loves it. I liked Smallville. I thought it. I mean, it's very you know CW kind of yeah. Raw, you know, in there with like Roswell and Gossip Girl, and <laughs> I know that's not CW, but like it, like that sort of feel. Yeah. And so, if you're if you're in the mood for that kind of television, like super fun. 
Well, I did finish Gossip Girl, and I've just been killing time with America's Next Top Model, and there's only so much of that you can watch without just losing your mind. Um, (laughs) So maybe maybe Smallville is my next one. I will say Mm -hmm. watching this movie got me excited about Superman in a way that I haven't been in forever, even though Henry Cavill is super hot. Yes, yes. He definitely looks the part. I've also... um, heard my husband was like oh you have to see this superman and superman 5 is really good and superman you know or whatever like just saying how there's actually a lot of parallels to the boys and some of the later supermans too so we might yeah we might just have to like go down a superman worm time thing i mean i'm down for that yeah uh i mean we could definitely do two after season two and then Maybe just go from there. Or, you know, we can do whatever the fuck we want. So. I know. <laughs> Freedom. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I do quite, I know it stars Kevin Spacey and he's terrible, but I really liked mm. Superman Returns a lot, you know? So oh. I, would, <laughs> I would be interested to watch that one again. Um, there are some things I don't like about it too much, but I'm, anyways, I like Superman. Um, and so on that note, let's talk about Richard Donner Superman. But before we do, I see something in Huey Cutie and the news. Do we have an update on the boys? We have an update on the boys, sort of. <laughs> um, so at the Rome premiere of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Ooh, 1. Another uh, uh, fodder for the podcast down the road. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So one Simon Pegg was on the red carpet and was talking about his role as Hugh Sr. on The Boys, I guess, <laughs> and mentioning that he would be returning for season four. Um, and he also dropped a little tidbit regarding Huey's family life and that his ex, a.k.a. Huey's mom, Ooh. would also be making an appearance and that Mrs. Huey uh, will be played by Rosemary DeWitt, who's from United States of Terra and the Poltergeist remake from 2015. (laughs) So that's intriguing. And then, of course, he said, you know, like, oh, fans are going to love it. And it's crazier than ever, you know, and that kind of stuff. But more, you know, of course, he's going to say that. But yeah, although I will say about a show about like the boys, like crazier than ever (laughs) seems pretty believable yeah, yeah, that tracks <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but so that's nice to hear that like he's coming back because i i did know or i've heard that he's not really in the next few seasons much if at all I'm and then remember yeah i don't think so yeah but that yeah also a little little uh, family life about huey some backstory on huey's family life a little bit more so interesting, interesting. <laughs> i always think of when molly ringwald played archie's mom on riverdale oh, after riverdale? coming back yeah. for so long <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i was like oh maybe it maybe it'll be molly ringwald and she was on the bear too but i do really like rosemary dewitt um rachel getting married i think is the one yes. that i really liked her in mm-hmm. Other than that, I haven't seen United States of Terra. And the Poltergeist remake is fine. It's got Jared that's, um, that's... Jared Chernobyl guy in it. Jared Harris. Oh, I was like, it. I don't remember his last name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just watched Chernobyl way too many times, which is it's a weird thing to watch yeah. on repeat, but I love it. Still no date on the release. Still mm. no, like, I think they're keeping it. The Rage of Strike, I think, yeah. is still. They're keeping everything under wraps till they have to. But yeah, supposedly it's coming. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, we'll get it eventually and we'll just watch yeah. a whole bunch of stuff until until then. It'll it'll give us time to catch up. That's exactly right. <laughs> yep. And, you know, maybe catch up on some back stuff too. You know, maybe we'll get all the way yep. through the Supermans. Mm-hmm. The Supers man. Um, all right. Well, speaking of the name of the game today, today's episode, although it's not an episode, although they all kind of feel like episodes, you know, um, mm-hmm. is called Superman. Subtitled <laughs> the movie. Yeah. The movie. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> the movie. But it was like, this is the first, the first movie. Right. Exactly. Like, like, Superman had been in comic books and radio shows and I think like even like some TV shows and stuff but this is the first movie which is wild like there was a time when there wasn't a wealth <laughs> of superhero movies uh-huh. and this was it yeah so just I mean something had to come first and I do think it's fitting that it's a character is iconic and clearly as the news today has said as long lasting as Superman <laughs> yeah I mean he's like an archetype as like really intertwined with America, you know, which I think is an interesting way that Homelander kind of explores the ar- archetype, which we will talk about later. But yeah, it's just mm-hmm. funny to watch like instead of like Superman, Civil War or Superman, yes. now we're teaming up with Hulk, you know, it's like mm-hmm. just the movie. Now, we're, now it's a movie. And the tagline is you'll believe a man can fly. Which just basics. Exactly. Believe it's it. like, can you believe we figured out how to do this? Essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and a movie that makes a med- a legend come to life. And there's just like this like apple pie kind of nostalgic like sweetness to that that just it just is hard not to smile, you know? Oh, totally. All right. So directed by Richard Donner, um, who I feel like has kind of directed our childhood, you know? Like, oh, Totally. Yeah. I was looking at, he did a lot of TV work, most notably, or at least most notably that I'd heard of. He did some Perry Mason, some Gilligan's Island, The Twilight Zone, Kojak. And you know how we've talked about it with this show is that like he didn't, he wasn't like the creator of all of that, but he directed a couple of episodes or strings of episodes and just a Mm -hmm. ton of TV shows. And he had most recently directed The Omen. This wasn't his first film. But this was his first film other than The Omen that I had really heard of in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Um, But he would go on to direct The Goonies, Scrooge, the Lethal Weapon franchise, a couple of other ones, like big, big movies. Like he he did pretty well for himself after this one. (laughs) It's just kind of wild. Like these, like you look at kind of like the genre. I mean, these are all great movies. And like great shows, but like Mm -hmm. the genres of stuff is just all over the place. (laughs) Right, exactly. And it kind of makes me like there's another name that we're going to mention that I was like, what? This Mm -hmm. person? And it just, I think it was a time where like there was a small pool of people that could do like, and I don't mean could were able, I mean could were allowed to or could were were given the backing to do this kind of bigger film and I think he was one of them um and I think he I I think he directed this movie really well considering Mm -hmm. what it is and all of the tech tech stuff like this was before CGI it was you know I I feel like it was a really like pivotal time for Mm -hmm. sort of practical effects and digital effects and the combination I mean think about think about what came out 
in these like very small window of years you've got star wars you've got mm-hmm. alien you've got like this like these crazy progressive films that are really pushing the boundaries of like what's possible what can we reimagine like let's let's go further than we ever have before and while this is not quite up to those films and like those levels they're still doing some cool stuff, some of which holds up better than others, I yeah. will say. Yeah. But there are some things that are really beautiful and like really unique, I think, where it's like, I hadn't seen that before. Yeah. I haven't seen that really since. Like there's some, especially some visual things in here that were very unique and creative, I think. Yeah. And not cheap. Like apparently they mm-hmm. blew through a ton of money trying to get the flying to look real or realistic. Um, I think that was one of the biggest achievements. And I think it looks pretty good. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, when you when you put the asterisk of 1978 next to it, exactly. it looks yes, good. Yes. You know, I yes. mean, we're not talking about Marvel, but, you know. Yeah. yeah it didn't, it wasn't embarrassingly bad, you know. Mm-hmm. As much as I love Troll 2, this is not Troll 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have some fun facts about the special effects. Oh, listeners also, we're going to kind of loosely go through our categories, but we're also going to mix it up a little bit. Um, Superman style. Sometimes we're going to be Clark Kent. Sometimes we're going to be Superman with the outline. I don't know if that totally (laughs) made sense, but I'm just going to go with it. We'll go with it. Right. (laughs) Well, so this was, um, it had a $55 million budget and it grossed $300 million. And I I don't know if you looked into this at all, but I got I saw either second highest grossing film of the year or highest grossing film of the year. I don't know if that was domestic or international, but it did very, very well. And it topped the box office charts for 13 consecutive weeks. Wow. And it got very good reviews, lots of praise for Christopher Reeve. I saw one review that I think is exactly right with the wrong casting. The whole thing falls apart. Um, oh, yes. Agree. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Christopher Reeve. But I mean, that's, you know, that's something to think about when you're deciding between Nicholas Holt and David Corn Sweat. And mm-hmm. I love Nicholas Holt, but I cannot see him as Superman. I, no, I can't either. And I mean, I think this movie is a lot to do with that. It's like when you think of, I mean, the comics, obviously. But if this film had gone a different way, that would have the whole thing unravels. Right. And right. like Christopher Reeve like set the template like exactly. this is this is the superman against which all other supermans are going to be judged yeah and you know some have done better than others but they've all looked quite similar yes yes they all i'm have. sorry nicholas holt nicholas holt doesn't look similar no i just don't i don't see it and i mean i love him and i would love mm-hmm. for him to be like he was um young uh he was in the x-men he was the one that turns into a blue blue Wolverine. Oh yes, yeah, and yeah. he was great. I loved him. In beast, that. beast, yeah, beast. He, yes, yes, he was young Frazier. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Uh, also, I want him to keep making the great and hilarious movie, like self-deprecating, charming movies. Because mm-hmm. I love him, and I've just seen Renfield too, so I love him even more. I like his. Did you like? Wait, did you like his sweaters in that movie? Ah, uh, yes, I sure did. <laughs> I was like, wait, there's some good sweater action. There is some good sweater action. And, and, you know, like casting Superman in the wrong hands, those sweaters could have gone very wrong. But Nicholas Holt made it work because 
he's he's pretty awesome and then he ripped some <laughs> arms off in awesome fashion too mm-hmm. um, <laughs> all right back to superman um all right so i don't know i don't know how much i, I found a lot like it said a lot of records a lot of this i was yes. like oh it started to kind of my eyes started to cross um it released around christmas which is a high stakes time for movies i don't know if that was quite the same back then but it did very well. Set a lot of records. Set a lot of like opening day records. Did very well for Warner Brothers too. But the thing I thought was interesting, it was originally supposed to be released in June of 1978, which would be the 40th anniversary of Action Comics 1, which first introduced Superman. But they just, I think, tech problems. They had to push it back by about six months. I am not oh, a crazy. fan. And I, I don't know much about comics um so i apologize to listeners who are like screaming at me they're like it's actually action <laughs> comics action <laughs> yeah i think that similarly how we're talking like how reeves was a template i think that success was i mean hugely important too like if it just did okay we probably wouldn't see a whole lot but i mean think about how many sequels spawned out of this one film with mm-hmm. reeve you know like immediately they were like oh yeah we got to make more of these and that's i mean we're still stuck in that that hamster wheel right but i mean for a long time i think this kind of got people looking at like comics a little differently in these characters and like oh wait we can actually put these on a a cinema screen (laughs) and present it as you know entertainment and art they're not just throwaway comic book characters i think and kind of elevated them into the consciousness of importance in pop culture and people and audiences were going to go see them and pay money and like oh wait this is this is a valid revenue stream like we should be pursuing this yeah Mm -hmm. this is going to appeal to a lot of people too and it's kind of what we talk about with stephen king a lot too is like i think horror was really dismissed in a lot of ways and it took a while to kind of break through. Is well, it... not just for kids, right? Right. Like, I exactly. Think, mm-hmm. I think like comics and that was mainly thought of like, oh, that's kid stuff. Like those are for kids. Those are for boys. Mm-hmm. But clearly when this movie came out, it had, yes, it's like appropriate for kids. And there are some like really campy comic book funny kind of things in here. Gene Hackman being yes. the main <laughs> Yeah, Gene Hackman and but, um, Ned Otis. Baby. <laughs> Otis, yeah. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> Yeah, so like there's some funny things, but there was enough crossover appeal that adults clearly liked it Mm -hmm. and were willing to go and see it with or without their kids. I don't know. Yeah. Did did people not have kids during those days? I (laughs) I guess not. Although I do think they left them at home by themselves quite a bit more than maybe maybe. these days. (laughs) But yeah, I was listening to um, a documentary on Night of the Living Dead today and they were talking about how horror used to be marketed to kids, you know, like Mm. the Wolfman and like the mummy and Abbott and Costello and that the kids were going to see Night of the Living Dead and they were like, oh shit (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) yeah um all right well speaking of reviews there was generally positive reviews not everybody loved it and they didn't think it was the greatest movie that had ever existed but mostly positive um Roger Ebert said, Superman is a pure delight, a wondrous combination of all the old-fashioned things we never really get tired of, adventure and romance, heroes and villains, earth-shaking special effects, and you know what else? Wit. <laughs> <laughs> and it made it made his 10 best of the year. Um, and then James Berardinelli, who I think he wrote for Variety. I can't remember. I just liked 
I, th- I agreed with this a lot. He said, there's no doubt that it's a flawed movie, but it's one of the most wonderfully entertaining flawed movies made during the 1970s. It's exactly what comic book fans hoped it would be. And I think that was a retrospective review. I don't think that was like mm. written at the while it was still in theaters, but just kind of like yeah. looking at its impact. And I think that's right, you know? I think so too, because I mean, you think about like 70s cinema and there was a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of amazing movies. It's one of my favorite decades for films, Mm -hmm. but you get a lot of Invasions of the Body Snatchers and Marathon Man and All the President's Men and like these conspiracy thrillers. And like, this was a really, a time when you couldn't really trust, you know, these authority figures and the government. And so there's a lot of films obviously around that. And this feels nostalgic yeah yeah it feels like like it's got establishment kind of running through it too you know mm -hmm. and so like it yes it feels 70s but it feels 70s being nostalgic for a different time yeah and I think that's what's like very wholesome and endearing about it even even now because that I feel like that comes through even though it's like you know we don't have to have lived in the 70s to relate to that and see see that and just yeah, it's very, it wins you over, I think. It just really does. Just how wholesome does. and sweet it is. <laughs> I know. Like, I wrote in my notes, like, you have to smile. He's just so sweet, you know? Yeah. But there's a part of it that feels 80s, too. Like, I could have sworn this was in 81 or 82. Mm. I was really surprised that it was 78. And I think, like, I've also recently watched the Arnold documentary, and he was just talking about the movies of the 70s compared, action movies of the 70s compared to action movies of the 80s. And I think this is kind of a precursor to, like, the big action stars that we were about to get, you know? And Arnold's going to show up a little bit later in some of my facts. Um, Which, speaking of, we have a new category. Um, It's called Fact Attack, which is just some fun facts about the movie i love it i love fun facts (laughs) me too Uh, i haven't done fun facts in a while Uh, now this is not by any means all of the fun facts about this i remember once trying to do fun facts about jaws and like oh god (laughs) i know it's just like you could you could say everything in the world about uh you know and you know, as a new Halloweeny too, I'm imagining you're gonna have to find a way to draw the line between the facts yeah, we'll that see you how bring. That goes. <laughs> yeah. Especially since y'all are tackling some some really iconic things coming up. So Okay, so this was nominated for three Oscars. Stuart Baird was nominated for film editing. Four other people that I'd never heard of were nominated for Best Sound. I would love to honor yeah. their names, but you know, they got honored at the ceremony. And then, of course, John Williams got nominated for Best Original Score. He lost to Midnight Express. I think this is one of the best scores ever. I, I love it so much. And I know you're a big score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's classic. I mean, yeah, John Williams. He, I mean, <laughs> yeah, what do you say? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's wild to think, like, he's still making music for movies yeah like he's still out there doing indiana jones and like just insane but like this is literally one of the most iconic melodies like you don't have to be a superman fan to hear that and be like oh that's superman's song Mm -hmm. like it is so ingrained in this character and this you know this film franchise and it's used in 
all the ones that have been spun off in some capacities and it's just so iconic so mm-hmm. yeah john i think i think that i think he'll be okay that john williams oh I think yeah he knows what he's doing he's got some skills you know yeah I he says he's it. retiring but i don't believe it i mean yeah i'll believe it when i see it and please don't because i love him like it's like saying Mozart's your favorite composer, you know, uh-huh. he's my favorite because he's just so good. Um, and yeah. it's like music that we grew up listening to. And this is probably a rant for another day, but like, I can't hum the Iron Man song in my head, you know, like the new ones. I'm sure I'm, I mean, I'm not as into it as most people are. I'm sure there's somebody yeah. humming it like really loudly now in defiance of what I just said, but like. You still like kids still, I think, would recognize this as Superman. It's just so like mm-hmm. indelible and it's so good. Like it works with Superman so well. It's like Jaws and a shark, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh, so good. And it lost, it lost the Oscar. I don't know what Midnight Express sounds like, but I don't, I don't remember like either. Superman. But I, I guess I hear it's good. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Those yeah. Academy voters. Um, all right. So this was, and so I have a lot of like alternative casting, um, and alternative I, directing. I love these looking back because it's just wild to like think about. <laughs> I know I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently they offered Spielberg the chance to direct, but he was asking too much and they were like, we'll wait and see what this Jaws movie does. And then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, uh, and so it ended up going to Richard Donner. I think it went through maybe another hand or two before it got there. But this ended up beating Close Encounters. And I think 1941, which I have not seen. Um, so th- whoever's trivia I wrote was like, so Richard Donner won that round. <laughs> oh, okay. But again, Spielberg, I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> You know. Yeah, they're they're both fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, these these big rich Hollywood men, you know, if yeah. we weren't looking out for them, who would? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, other supermen. So, the studio really wanted a name to go with this uh this role. And Richard Donner, I think, was really adamant that he wanted an unknown actor. He was like, mm. they're not good. Like, if you cast Tom Cruise as Superman, all you see is Tom Cruise, you know? Totally. Um, that's no shade to Tom Cruise. It's just that's that's what happens when you cast an A-list actor. So mm-hmm. they originally offered it to Robert Redford, Clint Eastwood, and James Caan. Um, mm-hmm. I can't really see any of them in the role. No. Um, Apparently, and they all turned it down. Redford wanted too much money. Eastwood said he was too busy, which, meh, not a big fan. Um, anyways, that's a hot yeah. Um, And then Con- James Conn, which I could so see him saying, there's yep. no way I'm getting into that silly suit. Uh, that sounds, yeah. It sounds like I old can, Jimmy. Like, nah, yeah. Not doing that. <laughs> that would feel like Bruce Willis playing Superman, you know? Like, yeah, he's great yeah. in what he does, but I just don't. Like, you need somebody just corn-fed in earnest. Yes. And so enter Christopher Reeve, who was an unknown at the time, picked uh, from, like, 200 people who auditioned. Mm. They originally did not want to hire him because he was too skinny, or too tall and skinny, too lanky. So he started working out a whole lot. Um, He underwent a bodybuilding regime supervised by David Prowse, who played Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy. I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. 
I just always think of uh, James Earl Jones. And then I was like, oh, no, but there's a person who's... There's a person, yeah. There's a person in there, That's, you know? that's a fascinating story, and it's like... Because I, I can't remember exactly, but for some reason, I think that he didn't necessarily know that his voice was going to be dubbed. Oh, yeah? And so, you know, it's like he thought he was going to be, like, this main character, and mm-hmm. then comes to find out, like... <laughs> No, nobody knows who I am because, you know, like they use James Earl Jones voice. And Mm. so you don't actually know like who the actor is, but clearly has an imposing presence and is quite the the full bodied figure. So that makes sense that he would trade with somebody like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, anybody who's seen Spaceballs knows that you really need an imposing figure (laughs) with the Darth Vader costume. (laughs) And it's not just like that they don't hear his voice. It's that James Earl Jones is so like iconic as that voice and has been celebrated so much. And I mean, for good reason, he is fantastic in that role, but I don't know. It's like in Hellraiser when the the CAD brother-in-law, they edited his voice out too because... Yeah. British. <laughs> yes. Poor guy. Um, apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger was interested in the role and wanted to play Superman, but they the, the I, trivia I read was like accent. he was ignored. Yeah, I I think that's what it is. Like this is such like I mean an American character. I think mm-hmm. right and like you know Schwarzenegger comes. <laughs> yeah. As much as I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, yes. Yeah. Not right. But you know what? He's gonna be okay too. <laughs> He'll be fine, yes. Um, And speaking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Christopher Reeve attended a Special Olympics fundraiser held at Arnold Schwarzenegger's house for the film's premiere in 1978. Um, Reeve was offered but turned down two roles that went to Schwarzenegger, The Running Man and Total Recall. And on the total opposite end of the spectrum, I can't see Christopher Reeve playing either of those, you know? I mean, I can, but I don't think it would have the same, like, it's like, yes, of course, he. I think he could have played it, but would it be as iconic and beloved as it is now? Yeah. We're not going to get yeah. Sub-Zero? No, just plain Zero. Like, yeah, and just like, yeah, and Total Recall, same thing. Like, the, the humor would just land so differently, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really just a case of those two actors really playing to their strengths and roles that mm-hmm. really suit them, you know? Um, so they were filming, this was an interesting one. They were filming during the 1977 blackout, um, which I think was the summer of Sam, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah I yeah. know from that movie with Adrian Brody. Um, and they let the New York daily news use their generators so that they were able to publish on time. Cause they weren't, I think weren't able to film. And I read another little kind of aside. It's like, we were a little worried that our equipment caused the blackout because we were using so much power. <laughs> Um, and so one of the what the fuck moments for this movie is that Marlon Brando is in it. And I have mm-hmm. some more uh, thought. I have some more fun facts when we get to his character. But apparently the S logo on the white cloak um, looks the same as the one used for George Reeves costume in the television show Adventures of Superman 1952. Um, and since the film, this was the first time that the S had been kind of seen as a symbol of the Kryptonian family crest of the House of L and has continued to be used in subsequent adaptations. So um, a lot of tone setting here, you know? Yeah, yes. Um, Yeah, a lot of iconic imagery and presentation and that sort of stuff. Yes. And uh, there was some post-production drama 
I didn't really get into it too much because it sounded like a lot of like people suing people and yes. you know. Did you see anything about that? Well, just just the, some kind of shady producers and you know, yeah, some legal stuff and classic Hollywood, right? Exactly, you know? right? Yeah. <laughs> Back when it was just all men doing all this stuff all the time, it was just a big mm-hmm. old mess. They did film Superman one and two back to back and. It that was a what a lot of the drama was about is that after they finished the first movie, yeah, the um Richard Donner didn't quite get along with the producers, but they he was still kind of contracted to um contracted to direct the next movie. I'm sure there's a lot more to say about that. I that seems like a big old rabbit hole yeah. for me. It's like I don't know how important it is. <laughs> exactly, it's messy. <laughs> it's drama, yeah. But I did find one uh, that I just loved because I'm a huge Carrie Elway's fan. He was one of my first crushes. He worked as a production assistant, um, and his job was to bring Marlon Brando out of his trailer every day. <laughs> Which I just learned a lot about Brando and the fun facts of this one. Apparently, he was very lazy um, and didn't want to. He wanted to do as little as possible. Um, He was paid $1 million a day in overages and didn't have a whole lot of incentive to leave his trailer. So according to Elway's in an interview given to to an NPR show, Ask Me Another... He refused to call Elways by his given name and instead called him Rocky. Oh, all right. <laughs> huh. All right. I guess when you're Marlon Brando, you can get away with a lot of shit. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Like, yeah. I, I'm not saying that name. I'm just going to call you Rocky. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to figure okay. that out, you British weirdo. <laughs> and I say that with love. I love Carrie Elways. All right. So let's move into our next category, which is we're talking about bad boys. Um, and I want, I kind of went chronologically through the film and the first one I want to talk about, I, I thought was, we were going to have more cause I was getting the first two movies mixed up, but it's General Zod. Yes. Yeah, I not love really, General Zod. <laughs> yeah. Not really in this one a lot, but yeah. I think is really important to the overall lore, right? Mm-hmm. Superman. Yes. So yeah. yeah. Terrence Stamp. Mm-hmm. Terrence Stamp. Yeah, and I think Michael Shannon is great as General Zod as well. But man, Terrence Stamp, he's he's just so great. Apparently, this was originally offered to Sir Christopher Lee, mm. who had had to turn it down because he just moved to Hollywood, and he didn't want to have to go back to England. Um, oh, all right, well, yeah. So he and his three or his two little um, criminal mastermind dreamy trio. Are, <laughs> are getting imprisoned by Jor-El. We are going to see a lot more of them in the next uh, in the next installment. Anything we want to say about General Zod? Is there anybody? I don't think there's quite a boy's parallel to General Zod. I don't Zod. think there is. Yeah. I don't necessarily think there is. At least not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Lex Luthor, who is the big bad of this movie. But I would say, like, I don't know, he is the villain of this. And I want to talk about whether he's villainous. But in a lot of ways, it's like Superman versus obscurity is really the conflict in this movie. You know, it's like this is just like a big Superman versus capitalism. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor, I found a lot of um, 
facts about Gene Hackman. He didn't want to cut his mustache off. He also it refused to shave his head. So they just styled his hair different ways so that it would appear that he was wearing different hair pieces every time. Um, but yes. So funny. He's like, I kind of like in some ways it feels out of place. I think it's mostly like his wardrobe and stuff it feels like so campy and so silly and so comic book. And then I, I just like, it's hard really picturing Gene Hackman as like villainous. I know. No, like I know he plays villains and he plays some bad characters for sure. in other, in like other movies and stuff, but as sort of like this criminal mastermind, it's kind of, like, I love it, but it also feels really silly. Yeah. And I think this is why I admit I have never taken Lex Luthor seriously. You know? Yeah. Uh, oh, totally. Did you hear who they're thinking of casting for the next no. one? No. Who's Can it? you guess by my cryptic smile? <laughs> it's is either it a scar it's, <laughs> it's one of the two of them. They're both up for the part <laughs> against each other. <laughs> they can be twins. Put them both in the movie. I would say, ooh, I mean, I, I mean, I love them both. <laughs> no favorites here, yeah. but I would think that Bill would be better. I think it would probably be better as a villain. He was yeah. in the new John Wick, right? Yes. Was he good? In and it? I mean, yeah, like he plays like a sleazy, rich, spoiled French boy boss. <laughs> so like, so yeah, I love to look and he, he, he wears some fabulous suits. Um, I just think that. Also, um, don't don't tell Elder Skarsgård brother this, <laughs> but I I think he's getting a little too old. He might be getting a little too. I'm old. sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, he's I, he'll he'll always be young in my heart, and and we'll like, always like have if, his movie. if if like if that's who Batman and Lois Lane are, I feel like Bill is more like similar age bracket. I agree. Yeah. Um. You know what? Maybe uh, Skarsgård could play General Zod. I'd watch that. There we Maybe go. They could play the Zod twins. All right. Sorry. Oh this God. is my own fanfic. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to write that idea down for later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Gene Hackman, devastatingly handsome, just like a Skarsgård. No shade to Gene Hackman, <laughs> but it's just a totally different vibe than what we see yeah. for supervillains now, you know? Yes. Um, when you think of Gene Hackman, what's the first role that comes to mind for you? I mean, wait, let me make sure. Conversation, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I was like, wait, that's... Is he in the conversation? Wait, is that... <laughs> All right, hold on. You're I IMDb. <laughs> I was like, wait. No, it is. Okay, I'm right. <laughs> For some reason, I was like doubting myself. Oh, <laughs> like, wait, that. is he not Is he not in that? No, it is. Which mustachio gentleman... <laughs> I think, okay, I'm right. Yeah, no, the conversation I think is, I think is so good. And like, it just is much more what I think of it, which is mm-hmm. funny because that came out before this. Mm-hmm. So to see him in a role that's like so broody and like internal and just like troubled old man. <laughs> yeah like like broody old dude just like struggling with himself and being just paranoid and like just struggling with the decisions that he's made in his life like that's much more what I think of Gene Hackman kind Mm -hmm. of like tortured actor like an actual actor I don't know and like here he just 
seems a little miscast like he can do humor don't get me wrong it just it just feels a little out of place like I don't know I much more prefer seeing him in sort of more action or like like Crimson Tide Mm -hmm. like something that's a little bit more grounded I guess yeah yeah I also just don't think this role is very substantial like it's hard to really get a handle on what the hell is going on with his character you know (laughs) I will say missiles and land deals exactly like who is Otis I will I do like his pool a lot I've thought about that pool many times over the years his like converted subway lair like Mm -hmm. he is right like when he's he's so mean to his like girlfriend and it's like why does he have well both her and Otis it's like why does he choose to live with these people Mm -hmm. if he like doesn't even like them but saying something like you know there's plenty of girls that would kill to live on park avenue in an apartment like this it's like yeah even if it is stories below the subway like i'd still be into it i think it's cool (laughs) i would too i like it i like that pool it looks very clean for like a a converted subway pool yeah he's definitely invested some money he's put some work in yeah yeah but it's just i don't know it just the whole thing feels anticlimactic and that could be me viewing it through the lens of all of the villains that we've come to know and love and also that I really like villains like as much mm-hmm. as I like Superman I like I love General Zod I, w- I would rather watch General Zod fight yeah. Superman which we'll see in Superman too mm-hmm. um, but there's so much establishing Superman in this movie that I feel like he just kind of gets short shift and I don't shrift yeah. and I don't know if I would change that but that just kind of is what it is Similar yeah. to Otis, Ned Beatty. This is the first thing I ever saw Ned Beatty and probably Gene Hackman in. And hmm. so this is kind of my baseline for both of them. Um, mm-hmm. But Ned Beatty is just so weird in this role. Just a complete doofus. Yeah. Which, like, I know he's supposed to be, but it just makes everything feel a little silly. And I, I do think, I mean, thinking about this as being, like, the first kind of superhero movie, like, this is the one thing that makes it these characters making it feel like it's for kids yes mm-hmm. it feels just fine it just feels like slightly disconnected from what we're seeing above the surface I right guess. like what we're seeing with the other characters it just feels a little goofy but yeah and it would be like i guess watching like the deep put on some kind of weird performance and then like walking back as you know, walking off stage as Otis and like being a normal person, like swearing and lighting yeah. up a cigarette, you know? Yeah. Know. Um, but we do have Eve Teskmacher or Mrs. Teskmacher or Mrs. Teskmacher. this is one of the things that i did remember about this movie is i remember that she wanted to save her mom and that's why she (laughs) saved superman and i really like her in this movie i think she just wants the finer things in life doesn't believe that a good guy is really gonna love her so she goes to a bad guy who treats her like shit which i can't say i've never done that i've done it many times and well, and ultimately, right, without this woman, the world would have been, you know, California would have fallen off the map. Like, literally, like she is a hero in this film. Like, yeah, this woman is. is 
like the most important hero in this film. Yeah, she really for, is. For what we see happens. And so I do think just like the boys, she gets overshadowed sometimes by <laughs> by the other supermen around her. When it's like, nope, actually, she's the one who actually made some really critically important decisions and decided to help him out. Yeah. And it's kind of that like you can there's always hope, you know, like. Mm-hmm. You may be aligned with the bad guys, but you still have a chance to do the right thing. You still have a chance to be a good person. And I think it's a lesson for Lex Luthor, too. It's like you can't be comically evil and expect everybody to just go along with you when it's going to hurt people they love, too. Like, she's just like, my mom lives in Hackensack. I've always that line is always stuck in my head. That's the reason I know Hackensack is a place, you know. Um, And her line, why is it I can't get it on with the good guys? It's just. I know. It's so sweet. You can. You Mrs. can. Tessmacher. I like to think yeah. she goes on to date um, a good guy, you know. Uh, yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> they originally offered the part to Goldie Hawn, which I could totally see, and to Anne mm-hmm. Margaret, who I feel like I know about in theory. <laughs> Not, yeah, I don't have a good grasp on who she is. I think I'm that was a generation before me. I could see Goldie Hawn doing this very well, but I think she was asking for too much money. But I yeah. think um, whoever it is, oh shit, who, who plays her? Yeah, oh Valerie Perrin. Valerie Perrin. I think she's great in this role. Yes, she has the right amount of like sassiness and innocence, you know, and just that like. And glamour, too, you know? Yeah, like, she's very, like, yeah, she's beautiful, and you can see why Lex would want to keep her around, and mm-hmm. she's not afraid to, you know, throw things back in his face, but she's not, she's not evil. She's right. just in this, situ- you know, somehow she's gotten in this situation, but she herself is not necessarily a villain. Right, exactly, yeah, there's there's a lot more to her than that. If we were to comp her with a character from The Boys, I was thinking there's part of me that wants to say Madeline. I don't know if I... I'd say Popclaw. Oh, that's a good you one. Know, like, mm-hmm. You know, kind of like somebody who's like there and like they have this relationship, but she's like stuck down in yeah. this basement and like she's not really... But she's also critically important and, you know, is capable of things on her own like we see her like go like climb up that bridge and go and program the missile like clearly she's capable of doing some right (laughs) some some actual work Mm -hmm. laying down in the street like she's out there like doing shit um but she's not quite full villain she's still you know b-list i guess (laughs) yeah sort of like popcorn maybe and just wanting love you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. if Lex had just listened, maybe if he had told her the plan beforehand and said, hey, let's get your mom out of Hackensack, then yeah. maybe the whole world would have been Lex Lutherville now, which I'm not saying that's a good thing, but yeah, you know, that, that was We'd be living in Otisburg. We would, oh, God, we yeah. would be living in Otisburg. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just that, like, I don't know, overlooked kind of mm-hmm. tragic tragic female character that i feel like the boys does a really good job of like exploring what it feels like to be that i think pop is a really great comp there um all right well let's talk about our spice girls and so again i'm going chronologically um so let's talk about jor-el who 
I was like, what the fuck, Marlon Brando? I did not oh, yeah. remember he was in this at all. <laughs> Apparently, he refused to memorize most of his lines in advance. I found so many stories about him, like, wanting to record on the first rehearsal and then just say, oh, oh looks like we got it. So he could go back. Like, I don't know a ton about Marlon Brando. Um, so I don't know if this feel. Do you know a lot about Marlon Brando? Does this feel like like him? I from what I've heard, you know, it's just at this point in his career, he's like he's like cashing checks, but <laughs> right. not actually, you know, not quite delivering, you know, Godfather level like, <laughs> right. performances. He's just like, yeah, I'm here. All right, let's just get this let's over. Just do it. Yeah, just give me the check. Which speaking yeah. of the Godfather, this was the biggest shot for me. I actually put it in shock and awe. Did you see who one of the writers is? Oh, yes. Mario I didn't uh, see subconsciously. Uzo. Yeah, and that might be why Marlon, you know, I think he's so. Like, All yeah. right, like I'll do this one for you. Like, okay, yeah. like. Well, and I looked through his because Mario Puzo, he wrote The Godfather, and which is a mm-hmm. good book, a very good book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote the screenplays for The Godfather too. And I was looking through his IMDb, and I was like, did he have a secret superhero career that I just didn't know about? And no, this is like yeah, no. really an outlier for him, and it kind of just feels like kind of a passion project kind of thing like i just really like super superman it's kind of how yeah. i have a thing for terminator you know yeah just something he maybe he loved as a kid like i don't know enough you know i don't know anything about yeah. him really like his personal like personal family life or anything like that but yeah maybe it's just something that he liked because superman was like yeah you know what superman needs a movie i want to write a movie yeah and I think it's a good script with depth to it, you know? I mean, it's not mm-hmm. The Godfather, and they feel very different. Um, yeah. Just in tone, yeah. theme, just, it kind of feels like apples to oranges, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're both about men who are larger than life and kind of struggling with that, and, mm-hmm. you know, but I yeah. definitely had to do some digging to believe that that was actually The Godfather Mario Puzo. You're like, wait, so, no, that can't be right, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so yeah, the the funniest fun fact I found about Marlon Brando was that um, he refused to memorize most of his lines in advance, and he actually, like the scene with the baby, he was actually reading his lines from the diaper of the baby. <laughs> Which, oh my gosh. Like, you get so your funny. money, man. I mean, and he's, he's yeah. pretty good. You know, he's not doing a whole lot, but, you know. No, no, but he's playing the part. Like, the yeah. part is Jorel, like this, you know, imposing respected figure and like it's it yeah he fits the part and he fills out that bright white suit well i guess yeah <laughs> he's al- got a great voice he does yeah <laughs> it almost feels like stunt casting in a way you know like not quite mm-hmm. stunt casting but like you hire marlon brando for a certain aura and yeah i think that's what he delivers all right let's let's talk about the man of the hour and it has to a- mm. i have to ask is it weird for us to do a podcast about someone you're related to? Because <laughs> we're talking about Christopher oh. Reeves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Um, I haven't told anybody this, but he's actually my grandpa. Is he your grandpa? Uh, no. <laughs> and it is, I'm saying it wrong. Like, it's Christopher Reeve, like single Reeve, yes. right? And you are yes. multiple Reeves. Reeves plural. Reeves See, plural. Oh, dang it. Yes. Oh, Missed so out. close. Extra S. So close to <laughs> Hollywood. He was almost your dad. Royalty. I know. So close. Um, 
Yeah, he is so perfect. And it's something I always forget about in this is just how funny he is. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, when we picture him, we always picture him as Superman. Yeah. But when we actually see him a long way into this movie, I actually don't think we even see Clark Kent and Christopher Reeve as like, it's like an hour into the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a ways. And I do want to talk about young Superman, too. Um, mm-hmm. But he's just like, when he is Clark Kent, like, I love how funny and dorky he is. <laughs> yeah. And and he's he's funny and dorky and sweet in two completely mm-hmm. different ways. And it's mm-hmm. so sweet. And I re- was reading another fun fact um, where uh, they watched him like he was in his Superman garb and all the ladies were swooning. And then he just walked by with his glasses on and nobody really looked. And I don't yeah. know if that's where the idea came from or if that was a kind of a byproduct. But he was an unknown actor at the time. And I actually think he's more dreamy with the glasses, you know? In some ways, like I, it's funny because he's clearly playing a part Mm because he's like, you know, his whole life he's had to kind of hide a lot of his strengths and his Mm -hmm. powers, right? And so he's like can't necessarily hide it physically, so he just tries to make himself as like weak (laughs) and unimpressive Mm -hmm. as he can. And like, like when they're getting robbed and stuff, just like, oh God, Mister, like I don't know if you want to be doing that, you know, just like, <laughs> yeah, just kind of a wimpy, like, you know, Lois ends up being the hero in right. that. In the, well, at least like outwardly, like clearly, like Clark catches a bullet, but yeah. in that moment, like she's the one that stands up or you know does thing. But somebody points a gun at him, and he's just like, oh, we should probably go with him, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, look, he wants to turn his life around. <laughs> Yeah, so just like that he's acting that whole time just to Mm -hmm. kind of keep people off the scent so they don't suspect him is just really funny to me. It's so sweet. And he just nails it, too. Um, I love the moment. I've forgotten when he he grabbed the bullet. And I just love the little Mm -hmm. look. He looks at it and he just kind of tosses it away. Mm -hmm. So sweet. That's when I wrote, how can you not love him? You know? Oh, no. Yeah. Love him. I think he's he's so great. And. (laughs) You know, his mom, like, there's a, that scene when they're putting the baby in the in the crystal cocoon, which is amazing, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah, I was but, like, that um, baby's going to break those crystals. <laughs> yeah. But just saying, like, you know, he, he will look like one of them, but he won't be one of them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think that, especially because we see him as a baby and kind of, like, if we're looking at Homelander and how we kind of, like, what we learned about him in this last season as mm-hmm. a baby... I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like he he looks like one of them. He looks like a normal person, but he will never be one. Mm-hmm. And even before he's the Homelander that we see, the grown, you know, the leader of the seven, like even as a baby, like he was never going to be like a normal kid. Yeah. Because of what they were doing to him and just how they were experimenting with him. And it's just... You know, I guess you can, this is a good example of nature versus nurture. It really is. Yeah. And I have a whole, I found a whole thing about like the superhero's mythic journey and the heroic cycle in Superman. And I don't know how deep we want to get into that, but a lot of the conflict I was reading was like this battle between his two fathers, which is mm-hmm. Jonathan, who is like this earthbound, really humble 
Like yeah. you should be a good person, father. And then there's Jorel, who I don't think is bad at all, but he's like, Mm-mm. you are not of this world. And I think that seeing them kind of struggle or you can't interfere, you can't, you always have to hide who you are. You can't use your powers to be extraordinary mm-hmm. or to change the court. So I, I just think that's a really interesting struggle. And then to see Homelander, who has nothing, who has like Mr. Vaught, who would come and like wave through a window in a blue blanket. And then to be told this is what you're supposed to pretend was your background. Like, I don't want to excuse anything Homelander does, but like, it's got to fuck you up, you know? Yeah, well, he never had anything like, you know, Clark, he like had things to protect he mm-hmm. had people in his life he cared about he you know we see him sending half his check to his mom mm-hmm. like oh my gosh so she's silver haired oh it's so yeah sweet. like you know he's got other things that he has been invested in whereas like you know homelander it's all it's all fake like the story's fake like he has nothing that he cares about and mm-hmm. just kind of they're they're similar in terms of you know their strengths and what they're capable of and the power that they have and what they could potentially use that for. But I think having that, he's missing that, that, that human, that human chip (laughs) in his brain, Mm -hmm. those human connections. And, but they are both very Jesus-like figures. (laughs) They are. Yeah. They, I mean, they are the archetypal hero. They are the the epitome of masculinity i think Mm -hmm. or they're intended to be at least and i know you know superman like this is i don't know that much about nietzsche i don't know how much it really connects but like just this idea of this is what a man should be and i think homelander gets very concerned with the image of that and not so much the feelings of it but also think he just he doesn't know what real love feels like or he doesn't know how to accept it and so he can't ever yeah well and you see like you see like clark um you know his family's telling him like you're here for a reason yeah like his you know his his earth family like didn't always know what that reason was but they always believed like you're here for a reason Mm -hmm. and then we see you know, and that that feels very like similar to like, okay, so he comes from another planet. He sacrificed like his son, like his father gives his son to mm. this, this this earthly planet. Like mm-hmm. I'm trusting you with my son, and like he's here for a reason to do these things. But you know, and then we see Homelander who Im- just maybe doesn't have that background, but seems to think that he's godlike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I loved like what Randall was saying about like him hovering over the audience at the Believe Expo. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, the season one recap, definitely do. Um, because, yeah, there's a lot of parallels with this religious sacrificial figure, yeah. you know. Um, well, and then like like Superman, it's it's always interesting. You always kind of forget like back on Krypton, he wouldn't have been super. Right. It's just kind of like Earth's atmosphere and that stuff that gives him sort of these abilities because mm-hmm. of the difference in planets and gravity and whatever. I don't know. But, and the same thing like with Homelander, like without Compound V, 
he would just be a normal baby yeah normal sad abandoned orphaned baby super dreamy but you know oh as a human not as a baby as a (laughs) grown-up i just want to make that very clear um but yeah yeah it is this kind of external circumstance that has put him in this position well he is an archetype too like Mm -hmm. he I think that's the thing that I really love about the boys so much and Homelander in particular is because Superman, Clark, he does not feel like a real person at all. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. he has a weakness, but he doesn't have flaws, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, maybe his flaws, his flaw is that he's too shy to tell Lois who he really is or he's he's yeah. shy, but that is, he does not feel like a real person. And I think that's where it gets tricky when you're talking about him as a symbol of masculinity because nobody is like that and it becomes aspirational and not possible and I think that's where a lot of like fragile toxic masculinity starts to creep in is when you are told this is the way to be a man and yeah that's unattainable you know well and like thinking about how this feels nostalgic right like Mm -hmm. this was a comic from like the 30s and even in the 70s it felt like a from a different time and Mm -hmm. like very you know classic Americana kind of ideas rural like always coming from the countryside to the big city and all this sort of stuff saying swell you know yeah saying swell yeah Lois is like what what are you talking about like where have you been like nobody says that yeah it it felt very like oh what's that um blast from the past uh, uh-huh. <laughs> like oh, brendan frazier has been in like the, the bomb shelter and coming out and it's like mm-hmm. what what are you what are you talking about yeah um but then what i think the boys does is be like okay so what if we had a similar situation but it happened in modern times mm-hmm. and kind of saying like what if we had a baby with these powers how would he be treated in today's society and then we get homelander yeah <laughs> like like they have a lot of similarities but the world of today would not have done what the kents did when they found that baby on the side of the road right. back in the day like that's not where our culture that's not where society's at and so it's just really funny to look at something like homelander where it's like they kind of started from a similar beginnings as we can believe right within the realm of you know quote-unquote reality like it makes more sense to think of homelander's situation than an alien coming in a crystal cocoon and crashing into the world yeah um but like that's how homelander would turn out because that's how society made him like it's possible that he would have been completely different had he had the kent family to take care of him and foster him and show him love and compassion and how to control his abilities and yeah that's not what unfortunately poor homelander he was just born slash made in the wrong era (laughs) he was yeah well and i mean i think if we look back to what that kind of iconography from decades ago and generations Mm -hmm. ago like that is a small subset of what we were seeing and like the reality there were a lot more people we just didn't they were just not the ones that society cared about or focused yeah. on. And so that's not representative of the time period, you know? Yeah. Like I always think about 11, 22, 63, where they're like, mm. there was another side to the 60s. So it's not yeah. all Jody, Texas, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I also think it's interesting because we think of Superman as like 100% good, yeah. right? Like there's really, at least not 
I, I know the comics get darker and we see some other things that happen with this character as time goes on. But in mm-hmm. this moment, he's presented as just pure. Yeah. And then we see something. You look at Homelander and as far as I can see so far and what I know, he's pretty much 100 percent not good yeah (laughs) when actually like in the boys it's like the closest thing to superman that we see is starlight i was just gonna say (laughs) yeah the more authentic collect connection or the the representation in spirit is starlight and i think she's even from iowa you know yeah i think that it's funny it's like on paper homelander is standing in for superman but in reality it's starlight yeah. and i just think that that's well starlight superman comes from the stars ah, you know mm-hmm. that kind of stuff like i'm sure that there's a lot of those ideas and that's just you know just one more i mean i know this is you know <laughs> very obvious stuff for a lot of people but i just think it's so interesting i think it's just such a cool part of the show just the way yeah. that they're doing that where you know homelander is considered like oh yeah he's like captain america always like superman which he is in a lot of ways as far as like his role and respect and his power Mm -hmm. and where he stands in this hierarchy of superheroes but actually it's these you know these lower level characters that are actually embodying the values of the of the superhero not just the status of the superhero yeah and i love that they're constantly giving annie shit for being annoying because she's so good you know and not in like a a really bad way but I love that that is part of her character too is that this constant goodness can become obnoxious when you are always comparing yourself to it you know like yeah well and we're just callous I mean we see right. that I mean we we can start talking about her if you want Lois like oh, we yeah. see that with Lois mm-hmm. or even she's like Clark what like okay whatever like right do you have any brothers oh no of course you don't mm-hmm. like you know of, like just kind of writing him off because he's too sweet too wholesome and like that's not something that in new york in the you know late 70s is something that is realistic it's more realistic to have you know somebody a little with a little bit of more an edge and a little bit grittier yeah yeah and i want to okay so let's talk about lois because i i think she's fascinating i love her character and I wonder if, because Superman is good on paper. Clark is yeah. good on paper. She, yeah. What she is attracted to is the appearance and the dashingness and the saviorness of him. Um, and I mean, he's also extremely good looking. And she mm-hmm. can see his muscles a lot more. But like Clark is also all of those things. I think Superman just kind of has a confidence to him that Clark is, yes. is downplaying. But it's it's just interesting to to look at this because I also think as much as Lois feels more like a human being than Clark does, I feel like she is also an archetype. You know, she's oh, yeah. busy businesswoman, learns to love. And I feel like that's a little bit reductive because I think she's more than that. But like, what is it? I don't know some people are going to think I'm a man hater for saying this, but what is it that this movie is? telling us about women when we look at Lois and who we are supposed to find attractive, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, I think what's attracting her to, because, yeah, obviously they're the same person, but Superman, yeah, it's the physical presence, it's the confidence, mm-hmm. it's the the swagger, I guess. Like, there's a line where she's like, 
you know, oh, do you have a girlfriend? And he's like, I don't. But if I did, you'd be the first to know. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like, oh. it's like, okay, you know. But it's that, yeah. It's just kind of that that presentation. Of, I, I mean, it's confidence, I guess, but also the fact that he's willing to risk his life and be able to do these sort of things that nobody else can. Mm-hmm. Like he's a a prime specimen, I guess, in the fact that he's able to go out and he's willing to risk his life and make these decisions and be not aggressive is not that's that's not the right word, but like just making really strong, bold decisions. Yeah. Strong. Where like Clark, yeah, str- yeah, like, but with Clark, who is literally the same person, you know, a gun pointed at him on the middle of the street where they could have easily just been like, dude, fuck you. And like right, ran and away. Ran. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And he's but the guys, you know, Clark's like, oh, we should go with him and, <laughs> you know, just give him your purse and is like just kind of, quote unquote, weak, yeah. not saying what he did was wrong. In a lot of ways, it takes a stronger person to realize when, like, this is not a situation I can win mm-hmm. and I'm not going to I'm not going to fight it. I'm yeah. just going to be the bigger person and just it's not worth it. Right. Right. Um, But here it's presented as weak mm-hmm. and that's something that you know lois isn't attracted to. and like the thing with his mom it's so funny it's like clearly this is a man who's like taking care of his mother and like has a good job and like there's a lot of things on paper that i'm looking at and be like that is very attractive yeah actually. exactly yeah and apparently he has snappy prose and is a fast typist <laughs> right like, yeah got a job at a at a newspaper like Mm-hmm. yeah and he's dreamy um yeah yeah and i like i think another movie or a lesser written movie or maybe another movie on the same theme would shame lois for not wanting to date clark and i think mm-hmm. this this movie doesn't and i yeah. am really appreciative of that because they do make a date she is gonna go out with him it's just that right. And she still does like they, they yeah, I sh- I'm sure they have a lovely evening, but it's just that she's she's into somebody else, you know? Um, yeah. I love her, though. Like her, her first line, the first line in the movie that she says the first time we see Lois Lane on film, her line is. How many T's are there in bloodletting? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Like, Which is one, a question I would ask because I can't spell. Um, and two, like, that's just a question after my own heart, you know? Yeah. It's oh. like, it's just, it's so funny to me. Like, I love Margot Kenner. Mm, I love too. her in so many different things. And I just love how she's just, you can see her brain just going a mile a minute. And she's, yeah, this like spunky reporter who clearly can't spell because they pointed out time and a time again, like how she, all of her spelling errors. And yet she's a, like an accomplished journalist and is willing to get out there and mm-hmm. get the story. And I I just, I love her so much. And the fact that she's willing to, you know, we see her doing some, you know, some like she's, you know, going on that trip to go interview those people out in California about the land deal. And like, she's clearly an accomplished independent woman. Yeah. Who, who doesn't, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. It's like, she doesn't need a man, but wants one, which is, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, 
it, they complement each other. I don't think they complete each other, you know? Yeah. And she doesn't do anything wrong in the movie. She is not getting in trouble. She's not um, risking her life. She, like, she just rode in a helicopter and happened to be on the, right. the trip when it got fucked up. Um, but she's not really doing anything wrong. And I think that it's easy to oversimplify this character as like bumbling and like reckless and like, oh, she's she this is why women shouldn't take risks. This is why they shouldn't be in the workforce. And I think it's it's not quite that it's that, you know, she has somebody to support her when she does get in trouble, but she doesn't necessarily need him or ask for that support. He's just yep. there. But then she supports him as well. Like she gives him his name, you know, and I yeah. think we'll see. She helps him like figure out how to be a reporter too, you know? You know? Yeah. And she, no, I, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, maybe she saves him from a gunman, <laughs> you know? She doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I yeah. I'm obs- obsessed with Margot Ketter and I just love <sighs> her in this and, and what she brings to the movie too, because mm-hmm. she kind of counters that sort of campy. You know, very like, oh, golly, gee, it's Superman kind of thing. Like uh-huh. she, I think, really helps ground the films in like a lot of ways and really place it in 1978 and help balance some of those things. And just her and I mean, the whole news office, I think, like her boss and everything. And then, you know, the New York setting helps it make it, you know, not feel so quite so cheesy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also love her. I'm a sucker for the Amityville horror. Um and Oh gosh, yeah. I just love her in it. Apparently she's been in some movies with some attractive some really hot people. I know. Um for not like I don't know, I don't want to say that because she is super attractive, but she she feels real, you know? Yeah. Like she feels she doesn't feel so glamorous that she's threatening or that she doesn't feel like like a real person um apparently she got the role because she tripped on the way into the audition and they i mean obviously because she's also good in it but it was that kind of like you know kind of realness you know yeah yeah no that's what it is like she feels like somebody you can imagine meeting that is just like so charming even though like they're just so like sassy kind of uh-huh. but you're just like there's something also very charming about her where it's not like off-putting where you're not like oh god I don't really like this person like she's still able to pull it off I mean we even see it like when after he you know goes back in time to save her and she gets out of her car and she's just like oh great you, know, you get here now when I'm out of gas you know like she's mm-hmm. like giving it to him and it's just like even Superman in that moment is like Oh, Lois. <laughs> exactly. I know because she immediately is like, "Okay, you're fine. You know, you were saving some people. Yeah. It's okay. You know, she doesn't yeah. take it take it too far." Um, I will say the one thing I do not like about this movie is I really hate that "Can you read my mind?" thing. You know, can you read my mind? Which I also don't think that's like an inherently Superman power. So that's no, I don't think it is either. That- I'm not sure why that's in the movie, but I, mean, I don't know. Maybe they're just experimenting. They're like, let's give him something else, you know, for fun. Um, spice up this flying scene. Well, maybe that was it. Maybe the scene was just too long and they're like, we got to be we doing do something. something. <laughs> well, apparently she was supposed to sing it. It was like, I think it was a song, like a musical oh. number. <laughs> and Richard Donner was like, this is weird. Let's just let's mm. have her say it weirdly, which I don't know which is worse. I don't. 
really like it. But it's it's like one of those things now that it just kind of is part of the corny yeah. charm of this movie, you know? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. I do love her dress in that scene. Yeah. So, so I'll allow it. But I would say, who do you think her his comp mm. her comp is in the boys? I've got who I think, but I'm curious. I mean, if I had to say I mean, I guess I would say Madeline. Oh, interesting. Maybe, but like I could see I that. Guess, no, yeah. You know, in terms of like clearly she's very smart and she's very on top of everything that's going around, you know, like going on and you, it seems like she's a good reporter. Mm-hmm. Like talking about the stories she's covering, like she's looking at angles and finding the story and is putting all the pieces together together and investigating and you know, a you know, a very strong businesswoman who I think enjoys her independence, which we see Madeline, but I don't think she's quite as um willing to sacrifice everything, you know, like yeah. maybe her values quite as much as Madeline to get ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say Huey, I think. Um Oh yeah. <laughs> he they kinda have that charm that kind of bumbling charm you know yeah and maybe like not seeing be yeah i i it would be i would need to see i think maybe the second one to get to know her a little bit better but yeah maybe see like if she's aware of her strengths right yeah yeah kind of like how huey doesn't always necessarily realize like oh yeah i have my own strengths and i actually just need to trust that a little bit more mm-hmm. like i am really good at things like i'm not quite as incapable as i think i am yeah you know yeah she feels like huey 5 years down the road you know like yeah. huey who is like huey who is pre butcher you know or mm. maybe who butcher used to be but i think the madeline comparison is really good as well um, and it's just interesting because we just don't see that much of Superman and Lois together when mm-hmm. they're not like getting to know each other. Like yeah. Homelander and Madeline have been working together for how long, you know, and mm-hmm. Superman and Lois have just met and they're still kind of figuring each other out. We're still figuring out who they are. So it's just interesting. Um, and, you know, we said she's not perfect. I'm sure, you know, she, I, I can't. I'm sure she's got journalistic integrity, but who knows? Maybe, you know, she fudged a source somewhere along the way. And like everybody starts down that road with one step. And I'm sure Madeline was a bright, idealistic Mm -hmm. Lois Lane at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe she's Ashley. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, let's move into good versus evil. Like I said, I've got a whole thing about, this hero's journey. I don't know um, how it's just really detailed and it's really interesting. But what I think is really interesting is that very little of it mentions Lex Luthor, who is mm. ostensibly the big bad of the movie. And I think that's because in this film, the real conflict is kind of Superman struggling with himself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like coming, like figuring out how to exist in this world, I yeah. think. Yeah, and, and who just he like, is, you know. Am I going to put myself out there? Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, saving Lois makes him take that leap. Yeah. You know, and being, because like selfishly, you know, he want, he likes her, has a crush on her. So like, I have to save her now. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't 
I can't hesitate anymore. Like I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it finally like enables him to take that step. Yeah. Which, which is interesting. It is kind of yeah. selfish, but you know, it's like, yep, I'm doing it. Okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, nobody is all good. Nobody is a hundred percent altruistic. And I think, you know, again, not knowing too much about the comics, I think one thing I would like to see explored is like, when does vanity start to creep in, you know, and mm-hmm. when do you become a hero? And I think one of the big differences between Superman and Homelander is that Superman has this one big weakness that that is mm. crypto. You know, there is yeah. something that will immediately take his powers away. And so right. he does have that moment where he is about to drown. And if Miss Tessmacher mm-hmm. didn't save him, he would be dead. And Homelander, I don't think, has ever been in that position, you know? Right. I do want to ask, d- there's something that just stood out to me. And it's because I have this whole soapbox about Charlie McGee and Firestarter and mm. about Andy teaching her to hide her powers and to be afraid of who she is. And so I'm just curious, there's a line when when young, um, oh, and we got to talk about Jeff East for just a minute, who plays young Superman, um, where he's talking to Jonathan, his dad, and he's like, is a bird showing off when he flies? And oh. I'm not saying it's wrong for, like, there there are good reasons that they taught him to hide his powers. There are even reasons that don't have to do with, like, shop type stuff, you know? But yeah. I'm just curious about your thoughts about Jonathan trying to teaching him to hide in plain sight and the persona of Clark Kent to begin with, you know? Yeah. I think that it makes sense. You know, Jonathan, his dad, like telling him, cause you have to imagine too, like a teenager with those kind of powers could mm-hmm. be, Oh, could be a bad idea. Well, have you seen Chronicle? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is such like, a good movie. <laughs> You know, and so, like, I I think that that was a smart decision and also something that Clark would have to, it would take a, a while, I think, to fully realize, like, the, the how the world would treat him if he did come out. Like, mm-hmm. it wouldn't necessarily, like, I think Jonathan even says, like, we didn't want them to take you away. And basically, you think they would study him and experiment on him. So, like, they were having to hide it Mm -hmm. but also at a certain point i mean i guess it's just like being a parent in general i'm not a parent but this is what they always say like you gotta push him out of the nest and let him fly you know so i think we see his mom do that right she was like i always knew this day would come when he's like i have to go yeah i just think jonathan wasn't quite there it's like just graduate high school first like just get through high school and then you know like just finish you know your brain forming a little bit before you because once you let that cat out of the bag you're never going to be able to put it back in. Right, exactly. And I think that that would be a hard thing for a teenager to understand. Like mm. there is no going back. So when you do it, you better do it right because uh-huh. that like you are not, there's not a lot of you around here. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and what's interesting, I didn't pick this up until I may have just been looking away, but like he stays in the Fortress of Solitude for like 12 years. Like he's yes. there for a very long time. And when we think of Annie, who is just coming into this world and she's still figuring all of this stuff out and she's like really confronted with a lot of the stuff that 
Superman has his father to explain to him and to say, hey, you're going to. And he has the time to sit with that and to think Mm -hmm. this sucks. Like people are going to be mean to me. And then a week later he can move on and accept it, you know, and then there's like 11 more years or whatever. But um, but I think we see with Homelander what happens when the world treats you like a superhero every Mm -hmm. single day. And I think like, you know, I part of why I think. Superman is able to be such a good person and so altruistic is because he has that humility of being treated kind of like a nerd and kind of being dismissed you know as Clark Kent whereas Homelander has never experienced that you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's a yeah different world you know we see the boys like soups are a a normal thing Mm -hmm. as far as like they happen like they are considered you know, some of them more than others, godlike mm-hmm. and blessed or whatever, and they are revered in some senses. But there are lots of them. Like Superman, there are there are no comps. Like there, right. nobody's seen something like this in this fictional world before. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, you better take a take a beat before you, you know, go in that telephone booth and pull off your clothes. <laughs> Right. Well, and I can see him thinking like with Lois, like if you don't love me at my Clark Kent, you can't have me at my Superman, you know, like (laughs) you're seeing who I really am. Do you actually like this person Um, or is it just the name or just the cape or just the fact that I can fly? And we see it's interesting. We do see Homelander get treated like dirt when he's just stuck in this room. It's just such an extreme. And I think that is really at the crux of his insecurity is that he, like we said, he knows Superman will never be human. He will never be of this world. And I think Homelander spends 99% of his time happy about that. But I think there is a tiny grain grain in him that's like, I don't deserve to be human. And that's where that insecurity is, which is what sparks the anger. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's an article called The Superhero's Mythic Journey, Death and the Heroic Cycle in Superman by Mark D. Stuckey. It's very interesting. I'm not going to go into any further detail about it, um, but check it out if you're interested because it is, it is interesting. And I think the the biggest takeaway I kind of got from this is that this feels like template setting. This feels like an archetype that we, I think, have kind of moved past in mm. as far as superhero ness is like yes we've seen this we've seen the hero's journey we've seen like the classic hero yeah. what else you know what what more can we do or what what happens next you know and so i think yeah. that's what the boys does such a great job of exploring yeah um i made some <laughs> some notes i don't know I, I have always also remembered the land, like it's the only thing they're not making more of. I don't know if he actually, mm-hmm. actually says that, but I have remembered Lex Luthor's obsession with land for a long time. Um, is there anything else you want to um, mention in our good versus evil section? No, I think we, I mean, I, I feel like we've talked about a lot of these kind of things. It's just, yeah, it's such an interesting looking at this character through the lens of the boys. It's it's an interesting way to look at just America's portrayal, like our current like portrayal of these superheroes in general. I think it's just, you know, outside of yeah. the characters and their history themselves. But it's just really interesting to put specifically these two side by side and just kind mm-hmm. of see like how different they are 
and neither one of them is wrong. And, you know, and it's just, it's super fun. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I love comparing agree. them. <laughs> I do too. And I think it's really interesting that Homelander is blonde. That probably feels mm-hmm. like a tiny nitpick, but it just is a detail that I think changes his character ever especially knowing that Anthony Starr is not naturally blonde like he has dyed his hair yeah. blonde for this role right um it just feel and I will probably will have more to say about that in future seasons but just just a little note because that's really aside from their name and the surface details that's that's really one of the only differences but it, I think it's significant oh um, totally I'm yeah that feels very intentional oh yeah there's just a little bit of an Aryan vibe there you know yeah um all right so let's move into shock and awe i okay there is full frontal in this movie that little baby <laughs> oh my gosh he's like Ta-da! i'm um, here <laughs> i know and i mean i don't i don't want to be weird part of me feels weird mentioning it but it just i think it's a sign of when this movie was made um yeah. you know anyway anyways um okay so let's talk about the effects um I want to mention Jeff East real quick. I keep saying we're going to talk about him. I think he's great. I I think I would have liked to see Christopher Reeve trying to pretend to be a high schooler. Um, yeah. But I think Jeff he's East is fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> His IMDb profile image is an illustration, so which I thought oh. was weird. I don't think he's. Yeah. I haven't seen him do anything else either. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but hey, he got to play Superman, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Apparently, he almost got hit by that train. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh i know it's one of the stuff people had to like pull him out of the way um, oh gosh but yeah the the f- effects look pretty good the running is where it got me and i was like this is yeah it's a little silly right. but yeah, yeah the flying i think looks good there is a lot of like model work and stuff which mm. some like the flood part you could tell you know some of like the little towns and stuff looks really funny but it's just so charming like i i don't know i can't even be mad at it because it's just like it, i don't know it's movie magic right it's just people yeah. getting creative and making things work that there's no way that they could do any other way like you have to just you have to think of other ways because there is no CGI really, right? At least as as we know it. And so I, I find it very endearing, even when things look clearly quite fake. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that was part of the draw for this movie too. It's like the first time anybody had actually seen this, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. like a cartoon or a comic. And, and that's part of why, because it's transitioning from comic or cartoons. And so- it still kind of has a little bit of that feel to it. Yeah. Um, I do think the helicopter scene looks good. Like that, mm-hmm. that got me. I think that is a perfect introduction to this character, you know, and I was genuinely scared for Lois because that scene of her just like looking down at the ground out of the helicopter oh, yeah. was terrifying. And that he just like pulls, it's just such a great here's Superman. This is what he is. And the fact that like mm-hmm. he gives the side eye to the half, um, the half phone booth is perfect. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, that's great. And just, yeah, it, it looks ter- terrifying. It looks it like he's going to fall yeah. out of there. <laughs> like... I think they were originally going to have him not save the helicopter, but they ended up changing it. Call They called it the double jeopardy scene, I believe. Mm. Um, I also Smart. think the earthquake the lifting the plates going inside down into the lava like okay i'll, I'll that's fine it's 
I'm not sure if that's how it would work, but okay. I'm not sure either, but you know, well, whatever. I did like the bus and it reminded me of the Maeve story, you know, I, oh yeah. I wonder if that is a a nod. It's gotta be right. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Um, and (laughs) I, I just thought it was funny when the, the whole damn thing with Jimmy, I like Jimmy a lot too. Like we didn't mention him in our characters because he doesn't really do a whole lot, but. yeah, but he's he's, he's there. He's a cute, you know, young photographer just trying to make a living in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> I will say Lois's death is horrifying. Like, I think that's probably the best effect of the movie. Like, and I believe that she's actually dead, too. You know? Yeah, it looks, yeah, it's very effective and claustrophobic. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um. Well, all right. Is there anything else we want to talk about with shock and awe before we move into our final categories? Um, no, I yeah. don't think that's it. I think we've got it. Yeah, I mean, and I think we're going to talk more about Superman down the road. But I'm sure. Yeah, it, it was really cool to um, revisit this movie. You know, um, yeah, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Um, and it just it put a big smile on my face. I was in a really bad mood last night, and this made me. Made me a little happier. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let we're not going to do predictions because, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I predict that Nicholas Holt will be just fine after not yes. winning the role of Superman. Um, but I do think we should choose our fighters. So who is your MVP of this movie and why do you love them? My MVP is Miss Lois Lane. <laughs> just because I do think, yeah, I think that she adds just a crucial dose of reality of 1978 (laughs) into it that makes it work and land in a completely different way. Whereas if not, it would feel a little too, you know, saccharine and just a little like, oh, golly, Superman, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and like she, I think, puts it all into perspective in a really, uh, yeah, just kind of sweet authentic i don't it's i just love her and i love everything that she adds to the film i completely agree she's like the salt that makes the chocolate chip cookie better yeah 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 Mm -hmm. well i was on the fence because you're picking lois i'm gonna pick uh clark slash superman because (laughs) i think the opposite side of that coin i think he brings the perfect amount of like golly gee iowa you know that Uh makes this feel really uplifting it's just such a great balance that i think richard donner finds and like anybody else in this role like i think when we talk about iconic roles like even 100 years from now i think people will still talk about christopher reeve as superman yeah and he just he absolutely nails this role and there's a reason we keep trying to recreate it you know Mm -hmm. um all right. Well, before we go, let's wrap up with some plugs. Uh, Rachel, where can we find you and what exciting things do you have coming up? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L, and on Instagram at The Vinyl Girl. Um, I recently officially joined the Halloweenies uh, horror franchise podcast. So yeah, I'm so excited to just 
get all sorts of nerdy <laughs> with those those Halloweeny boys and tear off that <laughs> no girls allowed sign uh-huh. and <laughs> climb up into the treehouse with them. And um, yeah, it'll be super fun. Right now, we're going through the Child's Play franchise, so it's just great. So yeah, you can find me there and all my other writings and Losers Club podcast stuff and Pod and Pendulum. I'll share all of that over there. So sweet. You can find me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. Also find me on this very feed co-hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast. We're about to get back into physical. Yay. Yay. Um, which I fucking love that show so much. Um, and also co-hosting the Losers Club, which this episode is probably dropping pretty far in the future. But um, we just covered just after sunset and uh, Under the Dome is coming up. So lots of really fun stuff. And you were just on a really fun Bag of Bones episode where you talked about the marvelous Gerard Way, which I <laughs> yes. really enjoyed. It's forever crush. Oh, my God. I love him. <laughs> He's got the perfect scream sing, you know, mm-hmm. that is so hard mm-hmm. to pull off. Um All right, so that's going to be it for this episode of The Girls on the Boys. We want to give a huge uh, thank you to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. Make sure to check out the other fantastic shows in the feed like Hey You, Such Sights to Show, Bodies of Horror, White Ladies in Crisis and the Altar Tapes. And we are going to be back in your ears in two weeks to talk about the season two premiere. I am so excited. I love this episode. I cannot wait to talk about uh, a particular moment that cracks okay. me up every fucking time. <laughs> I hope that's not too uh, too tantalizing. Um, but yes, we are going to be back to kick off our coverage of season two, which is going to be super fun in two, in two weeks. Um, and until then, oh, I meant to say, did you see Superman? Give that line. It's like, you know, we're all part of the same system. That was a, yes. uh, yeah. Did you write yes. it down? I, I told my husband, my James was watching it with me and I was like, oh, that's just like Homelander saying you're the real hero. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, until then, remember <laughs> you guys, you're the real heroes.